This podcast contains strong language, details of drug use, violence, recounting of traumatic events and themes which listeners may find upsetting. Hi everyone, this is Luke here with Eternal Media for the Recovery Hub podcast and today I give you something a little bit different. We're taking a break from Caitlin, but don't worry, she will be back. In today's episode, we are at Llynidwal and we are walking with North Wales Recovery Communities and I got the chance to chat and meet for the first time Brad and Lucinda. So first up we have Brad, it was our first time meeting and chatting and he was early into his recovery at this time of recording, I believe he's around about six or so months and then after Brad we will have Lucinda who is around about 10 years in and yeah it's, I don't really want to say much more because I think the conversations speak for themselves but I think you'll appreciate the differences in the style of conversation that we had between Brad and Lucinda. Brad's is a lot more introspective and then Lucinda is a lot more broader in the sense of scale and scope that we talk about recovery in on like a policy level where we talk about the war on drugs and how individual government policies can really affect individuals in recovery. So without further ado, here we go. This is Brad. Okay, so this is Luke here with the Recovery Up podcast and we're here today with Brad and we're at Comidwal. And how's it going for you, Brad? Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic today. Absolutely fantastic. Lovely day, lovely place. Good vibes. Can't, nothing, nothing, to, nothing to moan about. Fantastic. Absolutely loving life. High on fresh air. How long have you been at Penrith House in particular, and is that the beginning of your uh, recovery, is it? Yeah, it is, yeah. I've been at Penrith House since Christmas Eve on my birthday last year, 2021. Um, I found out that I needed to get off the old ale. Um, I couldn't stop it, so I thought I'd give this shot a go. So I went to Penrith in November, and they said, right, you need to move in. But you've got to do 30 days sober. Found that a it was almost mission impossible for me at the time. Managed to do it. Moved in on Christmas Eve last year on my birthday. Spent the first day there on my birthday, second day Christmas, a week later, New Year's. And since then it's just been up, 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 up and up. It's been brilliant. And uh yeah, it's changed my whole life 360. Absolutely changed my whole life. You wouldn't you wouldn't believe it. I mean, different person, different habits, different, just different hobbies. I'm just a completely different person, do you know what I mean? In terms of Mission Impossible, how, how did you turn Mission Impossible into Mission Accomplished? Uh, the willingness to do it. Uh, if you want it, you can do it. If you, if you want to get clean, it is possible. But you've got to want it to do it, you see. Um, it was really hard, really hard. But you've just got to take it day by time, I thought. I went to Penryn every day. I did these groups, I did fellowships, I did meetings. And the people in the Penryn, all these people around us now, they've got the same, they had the same habits as you at the time. During everyone's struggling together, so... And, and what's, what does that do for you when you have people around who are going through the same thing compared to, say, for example, if you were just doing it... Um, you know, on your own, by comparison. It's... It is the, um... 
the companionship because they understand this. The people that understand. We can go to doctors, we can go to psychiatrists, we can go to friends, families, loved ones. They still don't understand. They still won't understand how you think because that's our illness, and they haven't got our illness. But once you're around people with the same illness as you, and they get you, it makes it so. It just makes it a lot more easier. A lot, of, a lot, lot easier. And the power they give you, and the power you give them to help each other, it is possible. Do you know what I mean? It is really, really possible. And it sounds daunting, but it's easier than you think. It seriously is. So I've just been speaking with Gav, and I can recall when I first met Gav was in uh, September last year, I believe. Yeah. And at that point in time, he, I wouldn't call him shy, yeah. but he was definitely, what, what I got from, <coughs> from Gav today really surprised me, Yeah. because it just was so unexpected. Changes, you just change, you get, that's what I said, you just change, you get more confident, you become yourself, it's, it is, the place itself is a vaccine for the addiction it's it's unbelievable do you know what I mean because I, I lived with Calf last year in the tap and smile I lived with him and uh, yeah I lived with him and I've known Calf for a number of years and he was a big part of my recovery as well when I came here because I didn't I didn't know where I didn't know he was here but my first day I walked into Penryn I saw him and he goes Brad what you, you gotta do this because he knew I was in I was in a state, he knew what I was like. And the first thing he said, you stay here now. And I said, what What, what are you doing? He goes, I'm, I've been here for three months. I said, are you clean? Been clean for three or four months. And I thought, because I know Gav very well, I thought, well, if you can do that, then I can do it. Because I'm just as bad as you, do you know what I mean? We've done it together, mate, do you know what I mean? And that, when I saw him, that gave me that, I had some sort of overwhelming feeling of, Whoa, this is mental. This is good. I, I can do, we can do this. Do you know what I mean? It's good, nice to see. It makes you believe. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like you got camaraderie in your recovery as well, yeah. then, doesn't it? That's it. That, that's it. It does, isn't it? Like, um, I saw Gavin Morrison's January 2021, and uh, he was this before he was coming to Penrith. And me and Gav are very close friends, you see. But he couldn't talk to me. He couldn't talk. He was very nervous, anxiety, shy. He couldn't even look at me. And I knew he was ill then. And I was going through the same thing. So to see, to see when I saw him next, after that was when I came to Pendant, to see how he changed and how he's still changing. It, it's, it's lovely to see, do you know what I mean? It's, it's magical, like. Yeah. You can do it. You can do it. That's good. It's good. So you want a program? I'm not on the program at the moment, but I've got. I think I've got a sponsor in line, and I'll be doing my 12 step steps very shortly. Um, I finished my three months uh, in Penryn. In the first three months, you got to do all these lessons with a fellowship. You do NA, CA. And AA, and after that you could choose. 
and I've used, chosen CA and I was talking to a woman yesterday so for, for sorry I'll just stop here for, for people who might be listening who don't know what CA is uh, it's cocaine anonymous and um, we've got alcoholics anonymous that's AA NA is narcotics the big book they read the 12 steps it's all the same it's just the literature is the same just different ways of saying it but they all help see for me I like to go to the older meetings you see because sometimes you've only got NA on a Thursday so maybe you want to do a CA on a Thursday if you, can, if you look on Zoom there's a meeting anytime any place around the world it's this thing's massive like bigger than I ever thought in terms of addiction for you were, were you someone who isolated yes yeah massively towards the end of my addiction days it was just me myself and the ball did it start that way no it started when I was a teenager going out with my friends going out with my friends nightlife party life going to holidays Ibiza Magaluf and they didn't have the illness so they, they they could put it down rest or just not drink as much they could leave a club at two o'clock go back to the hotel and then with me I couldn't stop didn't want to stop I keep on trying to find that buzz yeah once I got that buzz I try and find that buzz again throughout trying to party and keep on going and it just it just it would take me to dangerous places my bad bad just it was just um, uh, it was unreal to be honest with you so my mates found out that I'm he's a bit too much he's me Brad he's bloody bloody hell Brad don't go drinking with him he won't stop he's he's cuckoo do you know what I mean mm-hmm. so then I started losing mates but one by one and then a few years ago I was in my house my flat I start drinking and then drinking on your own sometimes you mix with the wrong people but at the time you think it's the right people because they do the same stuff as you I found out I was living next I was living with a woman she was an alcoholic I knew she was an alcoholic and I knew I was, I was, I was an alcoholic so two people together is just it's made that bounce off of each yeah, other it's made for disaster you see so when I was, we were drinking together for years and uh, it just got really messy, do you know what I mean? Like uncontrollable, waking up, oh, you couldn't, couldn't, couldn't function without drinking me. Like couldn't talk, couldn't move, nothing. It was shaking, it was just, it was horrendous. And uh, then I started, I left there, trying to get my life better, thinking, oh, she's the problem she's the problem she who drank this i'll put the blame on other people never looked at never looked and thought i'm the problem do you know what i mean it's my own list of the problem so when i move to live on my own oh go get away from all that stuff i'll, I'll be on my own nothing can go wrong got even worse i was getting in trouble with the police i was drinking on my own wouldn't talk to my family to my friends uh it was this got to a point where i'd leave him sell my stuff to be able to afford a drink so at the back end of it I was sitting in my flat on my bed 
with just a bottle of whiskey, a little bit, half a bottle of coke, no TV, nothing. But that's how dark it got, and I was like that for months, months, until I got, and then I used to get in trouble with the police, I used to get bloody loud, get aggressive, and I'd be, all my frustrations of my life would come out through this drink, and uh, the place I was living at, the woman that owned the house, she goes, you want to try this hostel up the rope, Henry House, to recovery centre. I bet you, I was from my street, the estate, just up the road where I've lived there, brought up there. But I never heard of Penryn. It's, it's, it's it, hilarious when you when you know the, like, the, the location of, of Penryn and my yeah. street, because it literally is just it's, around it, the corner. It is. The only thing that's blocking it, it's the wall. Without that wall, it'd be a part of my clan. Do you know what I mean? And I've never known about it and I've lived there all my life. So I walked up, I thought, oh, right, this is what this is. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and how something so special could be something so close without even noticing it. It was just, it didn't feel real with me, do you know what I mean? It felt like a, like some sort of dream. Yeah, so, it. no, it's just as, as we're walking right now, we're just passing some yeah. university students and uh, I, we had a, I think they could consider them professors, uh, geography professors uh, oh. that are observing the students and uh, Two of them were asking us, uh, you know, what what are we doing here today? And yeah. I was talking about Penryn and um, you know mentioning how it's part of Bangor's community. And you know, the, I don't think they they knew what Penryn House was either. And uh, it, it sort of is a bit tucked away, isn't it? It's, it, is, it is. It's a bit, quite a long drive, isn't it? Right at the side on a main road where you wouldn't expect it. a long drive. You, you can't see the building from the main road do you know what I mean yes yeah, so it is off the beaten path yeah. just a little bit enough it's, to be hidden away it's um it is a hidden house I tell you that I'd give you that and would you say that's somewhat of a, a metaphor for recovery and addiction in the sense is that there's a lot of it um, that is hidden away with yeah. people because it's something where there's definitely a pressure to just not show it and uh, yeah. admit to it and all the all so many other factors like that. That's it. It's all about uh, pride. Like for me, it was pride and ego. When I admitted I was an alcoholic and I had a severe problem, my pride and my ego, that was just, it was crushed, wasn't it? It was crushed. But you've, you've just got to take it on the chin. You've There's only one way to do it and that's by doing it. And... Uh, You'll get, you'll get your pride back by being sober. And there's nothing more prouder than being sober. I can tell you a funny little story, actually, about yesterday. I was walking up the high street with a few of these, these resident, residents. And two policemen came walking. And they stopped me. And they go, Bradley Jones. I went, yeah, hello, how are you? I went, I'm all right, thanks. Thank you. And they go, uh, funny that, I was just about to pop in to see you this week. We haven't heard from you for a long time, for a few months. <laughs> and I went, oh, I don't live at my old address. And they go, no, we know where you are. We're in Penryn. You're doing, we've got good glowing reports about you. We're all we're all uh, really, really happy, pleased to be and proud of you. And I was like, fuck, excuse the French, but fucking hell. I thought, what? I've never heard a policeman say that to me in my life. Do you know what I mean? Normally, they had, I used to think that the first people to ruin my life 
but just that pride I got of not being a burden on society and to be respected by the police it's it, it was I had a lot of like gratitude like I thought proud of myself do you know what I mean and it was love it was really nice really nice Bangor's quite a small little place, it's not a city. It is a city, everybody, but it's very small. Yeah. <laughs> everybody knows everybody there. So I'm well known, unfortunately, to the police in Bangor. But I've got that spring in my step, that pride of walking through town and not being known as, oh, Brad. Now it's, that's Brad's. He's, <laughs> I'm a normal person, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm not that kind of monster or lunatic idiot that used to walk on the high street raging off absolutely boozed up um so going forward in in terms of that um you know the change in the way people are perceiving you now yeah uh i, I wouldn't just say it's um you don't just become uh like a a representation of an of an, a regular person but you i i think people would see it as someone who's turned their life around and as yeah. they they will you know we, we all have role models and and uh, examples of people that we look to to show inspiration for uh, and you know to motivate other people yeah. so I, I what I see it as is it's not just seeing you as uh, a, a regular person yeah. who who never had the addiction to begin with but but it's i think they they would actually be putting you across to people as this is brad this is someone who went through this and overcame it and and is continuing to you know because it's not just one of those things where it's like a a challenge one part of your life and then and and it never and it goes away (laughs) it doesn't does it it never goes i'll be with it for the rest of my life and uh i'm sounds doesn't to me I'm a proud alcoholic because some people are ashamed to say they're an alcoholic I'm proud because I can I could help other people do you know what I mean that's got the problem like do you know what I mean mm. these doctors and that they can't they, they, they don't really know how to help what do you think's missing um missing I reckon for the, for the doctors I mean what, what, what are they missing that uh, people who, are, who have managed to help you have? Well, to me, it's experience. They've not got experience with alcoholism. Like, for me, it takes one to be one. It takes one to be one. To be an alcoholic doctor, you'd have to, you'd have to be one to be one, if you know what I mean. You need the experience of the alcoholi- alcoholism, because it's an illness, and it's in, the way we all think is insanity compared to other people. But just wired differently. And because uh, we're going to live this for the rest of our lives, do you know what I mean? So what I've learned, or what I find, is that with doctors and that, and nurses and psychiatrics and that, for us, to help us, you like it takes one of us to help one. Do you know what I mean? This is what this fellowships are, these fellowships are about, N-A-A-A-C-A. It's all about them with their past experience, the big book. That's just, that's it. The big book is about a, a guy that helps someone stop drinking because he was an alcoholic mm. it's it, that's that's what it takes do you know what i mean yeah uh, I, I'm, I'm curious what what role can people who are not in recovery themselves or have 
ever been addicted before what role can they play to help um i think a lot has got to do with uh, financial stuff money because that, well, that helps everything do you know what i mean uh more places like penryn because well, i've heard that penryn's one of a kind in the whole of wales I, you know I mean, the recovery centre where you stay, it's one of a kind in the whole of Wales, you know what I mean? We need more penguins, you know what I mean? But you can't do it with no money. <laughs> so, stuff like that would help, of course. Um, I don't really... I've never been on medication for it. So I can't, I can't explain them. I'll give you examples of how to do it through uh, medication and that, but... Mm. It's got to be more penance for me, do you know what I mean? Get the, get the word out there, get these these fellow, these meetings out there, N-A-A-A-C-A. No, because I didn't hear about it since I came here. When someone said, oh, we've got a CA meeting, I went, what the hell is CA? What's the N-A, what's A-A? Oh, I'll call Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. What's Narcotics? Do you know what I mean? What's co- Cocaine Anonymous? What's CA? But you need to get the word out, you need to get the word out there. These fellowships, these groups, you need to get the, the word out there. And more penguins, and more people. You might, it's not going to click to you in the first day. But the more you hear these words of C-A-N-A-A-A advertised, the more you see it. It'll, it'll be in you. It'll get into your head, and you might think, "Fuck!" One day you might think, "Fuck, Joff, I'm sick of life. I'm sick of it. Let me just try and see what this is about." And that first meeting, you could change your life. Do you know what I mean? It's not getting the word out there for me. Yeah. Um, so part of the podcast that the, the the reason why we're setting this up is is to bring visibility to those aspects that you've spoke about, yeah. and. Uh, it, it's not just for people who are in the thick of addiction or in recovery themselves looking to hear other people's stories and it's we're also trying to make it so it's for people who are trying to learn about it yeah uh, and and because that's the position i'm in personally myself yeah. actually is that uh, you know i i'm a documentary filmmaker yeah and I think with that comes a, a need for being inquisitive. Yeah, of course, and of uh, you know, this has always been a passion of mine. Actually, is yeah. to um, understand uh, the inner workings of the brain, and especially in regards to uh, substances yeah. and psychology and human behaviour. It's just naturally to me, it's all so yeah. fascinating. Of course, yeah, of course. And uh, the way I uh, the way I see it is, is the more understanding about the uh, individual's experiences yeah. that the the more that we can actually support people who go through the uh, addiction and need to find a way to come into a life of recovery yeah. uh, and so it's because what I find when I have conversations with people who are not part of the recovery community and and you know it's not a passion of theirs to learn about it either there is a lot of just it's it's just a, a blank spot yeah. you know like they, they don't have much to say about the subject and no. um like they don't even really think about it all that much no the thing is with me i think with alcoholic me or it's really hard to understand because at the time you don't really understand yourself so if you don't understand yourself you can't really tell people so 
it's the insanity of the illness. It's uh, it's our minds, our addiction. It's for some reason or other we've always choose to do it when we know we don't we don't like it really. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's the insanity that I can't explain. Of why did I do it? Like I knew what would happen if I had a drink. Some people, normal people, go, oh, <clears throat> I'm not gonna have a drink because I know this would happen. But with alcoholics and like myself, I knew it would happen, but I still bloody drink. It's the insanity. It's the absolute insanity of it. And at the time, we didn't know why that. So when we come to Penryn and we do these 12 steps and, that, and we do these smart recovery meetings and we do uh, all these other stuff, um, quite you get basically you get to understand is that. It's, it's, it's an illness that we have that other, other people don't. I think as a stat, it's about 5% of the UK only have the illness. And at what point was uh, the the knowledge of, of seeing it as an in, uh, and understanding it as an illness come into, come into your life? Was that a new thing for you when you entered recovery or was this something yeah, that you'd was, encountered before? No, it was when I came into recovery. I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew that. But I didn't know it was an illness of such sort and I didn't know it was the insanity of the illness that made me to drink until I got into Penryn and when I went into Penryn you do the 12 steps and you read the big book and everything it says in the big book everything whatever you've done in your life it says in the stories in the big book and you're like that's me that's me and if you change from the name Bob to I it would become your book so he the book's done the same as you so then when it says in the book it's the illness you understand you, you just you seem to you get it then you get it i'm going to say you get it it's when you understand it that, yeah this is this is an illness it is so it took me about a month to understand that it did take me about a month how, how does it change things for you to see it that way compared to, to before? It's easy to accept, a lot easier to accept. Instead of thinking I'm a lunatic and I can't stop drinking and I don't know why, it's easy to accept. I'm an alcoholic because I've got this illness. And it's, when you think of it like that, you don't see as your, you kind of put the burden off yourself a bit so you think you can't, it's not my fault, but it's your illness, you can't help it, you've just got to fight it. So that you thinking that you're the fucking problem. It's the illness the problem. And the cue of the illness is by doing these 12 steps and coming to Penryn, these recovery things. And it proves, you look around you, it proves we're all fighting this and we're all beating it. We're all beating this motherfucking thing. And you see people go off, they leave Penryn. There's a girl, Cece, she's leaving Penryn. She's been there for two years. You, you can beat it, it's possible. It is possible, do you know what I mean? It's... As for yourself, we're, uh, so you are now a resident yeah. as of Christmas Eve, your yeah. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I, I'm just curious now, like, what's, what's it like being, um, having your birthday on Christmas Eve? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, it's always been a hectic one. Not really remembered, really. Christmas time for me, for the last 10 years, has always been a blur. Don't remember much Christmases, because it's my birthday. It's drinking, it's Christmas, it's drinking. It's Boxing Day football next day, it's drinking. New Year's in a few days, drinking. So really, I don't really remember much Christmases on New Year's, on birthdays. So to live it, to have it sober was, it was a mental experience, it was crazy. 
it felt like I was dreaming. I was thinking, what is going on? It's my birthday, it's Christmas. I'm eating Christmas dinner with all these lot and, and no drinking. It was a crazy one, but it was also a nice feeling, do you know what I mean? It's nice to come alive again, do you know what I mean? It's like I'm alive. Yeah. I am alive. <laughs> How long do you foresee yourself at Panarin? Because is is there yeah. some is it a each day at a time sort of thing, or is it do you have a goal in mind? Well, yeah, well, I'm very early in my recovery. It's only three and a half months, so there's people been there for a year, two year, eight months, nine months. Um, it's all about whether when you're ready to move on and. Uh, Stuff they're they they are they are addicts themselves. They understand you. You get you get um, what do you call it? Uh, key workers. They get it. So when they think you're ready to move on, they could help you put an application. And of course, with applications and councils these days, it's really it's a long a long waiting list. And I'm bangering that for, for your own place. So you can be there as long as you want, as long as you do it. Do you know what I mean? That's it. There's, there's rules, there's strict rules like get up in the morning, eight o'clock morning meetings. You got to do all these stuff, but it's learning you how to live again. Do you know what I mean? It's a sustaining pencil two in the afternoon. It's learning it's what you're doing. You you just retraining your brain of a sober life. How to live sober? How to live really? How to spend your day? It's retraining your whole brain. So it takes time. It could take you years. You could stay there for years. Like do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think when we worked on a production, uh, it was for an organisation called Stomp, and yeah. what they were wanting to do was bring awareness to military veterans yeah. and how people who were from the military uh, were very susceptible to, um, once they leave the military, to kind of just basically going off the rails. Yeah. and. Yeah. Um, and losing their mind because of the lack of structure. Yeah, that's structure is everything. That is it. If you haven't got structure, it's hard. Structure is the main. That is that's your that's your base. If you haven't got a structure, you're falling. So once you've got a structure, you've got you've got a base. Once you get that base, you can then you've got the power to do your own decisions. But like getting up at eight, it's a structure. Having a plan, right? Getting up at eight brush my teeth, go for a shower, get to the morning meeting at nine o'clock, say good morning to my fellows, do your emails, do your texts, say hello to friends and family, loved ones. You go out, you go do your shop, you have your dinner at 12, you got to go to the gym, play football, get out for a walk, live your day and have a structure because if you haven't got structure, it's hard, it's very hard. It's the main, it's the main ingredient in recovery structure, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. So I'm curious, when when you wake up on a given day in Penryn, yeah, what are the type of thoughts that go through your mind, and then contrast that with some of the thoughts that you would get when you would wake up in a day in addiction? Okay, so my start of the day in addiction, I wake up, F and L, what did I do last night? How do I end up here? How do I get back? Who's this? Where's my money? Where's my phone? Have I got any money? Why have, what's happened? I feel ill. I need to be sick. I'm shaking. I need a drink. Uh, first thing on the mind, shop. That's it. Run, looking, run around looking for empty cans. Any little slobs at the bottom of the can. Looking for a hidden stash you might have stashed. 
go to the shop, get beer. That's the thought. It's just the hectic. You're going 100 miles per hour and then you've got anxiety and panicking of what you've done the night before or whatever. And it's just a very, very ill, toxic state of mind to be in compared to Penryn now. Wake up, fresh as a daisy, good night's sleep, sober, no headache, no anxiety, happy, having a shower, smiling, singing music in the shower, going downstairs, seeing people. It's just, it's heaven, it's night and day, it's, it's hell and heaven difference, do you know what I mean? It's like you're living in heaven now compared to hell. It's night and day difference. It's how you've, my life's changed in the 360 in the space of three months, it's just unthinkable to be honest with you, unthinkable, beyond my power, I've done it, like, it's fantastic, beyond beyond how I've changed, it's just so much better, I advise everyone to do it if you've got a problem, like. Mm. So you mentioned how there's, there's not necessarily a goal in terms of, um, like Penryn and that, like you know, yeah. fat leaving Penryn yeah, as such. Moment, no. Yeah, that that's that's great. Um, however, is is there like a, a new like, is there some kind of motivation that keeps you like a like? Have you found a passion for something um, um, since coming into recovery, or is, is there, have you just made any discoveries where <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh wow, I've been like this is the new thing in my life, yeah. like the next obsession. Yeah, yeah. A bit of a silly one, really. Not silly, actually, but not one that my mates or my family or my loving ones would expe- expect. Because they know I'm mad on football. I support Liverpool, I'm mad on football. And all my life is about football, beer, football, beer. Do you know what I mean? Women, football, beer, shit like that. Do you know what I mean? And now, a girl that lived there, Sue, a woman, she, uh, she had a piano. She wanted to sell. It was away, and it was in a room, and she was just in a way. She goes, oh... Do you want that, brother? I said, all right, I'll give you £30 for it. How much, so, how much was it really worth? I, I couldn't tell you. It's not, it's not top of the range, but I thought I'd be nice and I'll give you the £30. Make a smile. So I bought it. And I remember playing piano in school. And I, I used to do EastEnders song and then I used to do the Welsh National Anthem. And all these little silly little songs, Happy Birthday and that. Jingles. I mean? Jingle bells, yeah, that's yeah. it, you name it all. And I started doing them again, I thought, oh, I like this. So I bought, I thought, you know what, I'll give it a go. Bought a book of Amazon, a music book. And I do play, I play it about twice a day, it's mental. It's mental, do you know what I mean? If I've got free time after nine o'clock, I'll put my headphones on and just do it, do you know what I mean? Try and learn a new song. And I've got, it's, it's a good one because I've got record, stop. I've got all these stuff on it that you make your own stuff. And I'm trying to make a song. And there's a guy that normally comes here on the Friday. He comes to Penryn, Steve. Steve, he makes his own music on his computer. And I've been getting along with text each other. Look at this, do you like my songs? And I'm like, I'm buzzing off this. I go after food at six o'clock. I come in, have food. And I'm like, right, I'm excited. I've got a buzz about me that I want to go on that piano and do this song and send it to Steve, see if he likes it. And I, it's, it's honestly, it's flipping mad. Because I, I like music in general, but... You, you said to me, proud you'd be playing a guitar, a guitar, a piano. Out of, you, out of character. Yeah, I say out of character, that's it. Yeah. You just find some mad things about yourself and you're like, what? <laughs> it's crazy, but yeah, out of character, but I bloody love it, I, I love it, it's mental. It's good though, it's good. You find these little things about yourself, do you know what I mean? Like, I, start, I like veg, I'm like, I didn't know I liked veg before. <laughs> do you mean, I'm used to eating bloody anything, or oh, takeaway chips, or... Oh. Donna kebab on a Friday, do you know what I mean? 
Like you, in my days, I didn't even really eat. I just ate what was in front of me. Tin of baked beans, piece of toast if I needed it or something. Now I'm finding I'm liking veg. I'm liking fish. Uh, all sorts. It's like, oh, I'll try this. I thought, wow, that's bloody lovely. What's that? Spinach. I mean, is that what Popeye eats? Do you know what I mean? I'm like, that's fucking lovely. I made spinach and cheese ricotta the other day. I thought, wow, that's amazing. And I thought... You don't see me see you don't see me dead eating that a few years ago. It's just you just change the person. Literally, you really do change, and it's it's beyond. It's it's really fascinating. Do you know what I mean? Anything else that you would like to touch upon? Uh, not really. Just thanks. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was fantastic. <laughs> Jeez, that's, that's what's your name, mate? Luke. Luke, nice to meet you. We, we did all that without knowing each other. Well, really, that's my name. I'm bad with Okay, this is Luke here for the Kirby Hub podcast. And right now I am with Lucinda and El Nino. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, how, how old is El Nino? He's 10. He's as old as me now. We're both 50. There, there seems to be some significance to that, actually, in that Alex has just told me that you're 10 years in recovery also. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been around for about 13 years. Um, and, yeah, I was mainly um, recovering in London. But I moved to North Wales about two years ago. So I thought, um, well, when I arrived, I was at uni... And um, I needed a meeting, so I popped into Penryn and, uh, and met all these guys. And so, two years later, I find myself on a walk with them as well, after kind of engaging and being in, uh, like, you know, joining the sort of team as a cover. Um, sorry, I'm up and down a bit. <laughs> um, as a cover um, assistant, so. Yeah. A little bit of night support, and I was in last night, so this morning I'm here this beautiful part of the world yeah so we're currently climbing the rockies of Kermidwal that's why we're up and down <laughs> yeah yeah I broke my ankle before I moved to North Wales so I was a little I'm a little bit I have to be a bit careful on the uh, stones and that so for, bear with me <laughs> yeah my, I can feel my legs straining a little bit as well and it's taking me back to the recovery walk from last year in September yeah I didn't actually get to go on that but I was um, in like waiting for everyone to come home and uh, basically uh, yeah it's very quiet because everyone was out enjoying themselves so it was nice to see but yeah they uh, they had a great time and uh, maybe I'll get on it this year so I've got a lot there to unpack actually about um, recovery in London and how that compares to recovery at Penryn House in North Wales so so you were in you started recovery for a few years in London yeah I mean I uh, I've been using on and off for 25 years you know I started with the party drugs and progressed into sort of like the harder substances and um, you know my life sort of ended up being really chaotic and uh, I kind of had enough uh, when I was 38 and sense of rehab in uh, out outside of London um, I think I needed to be taken away for like three months and um, came back and I did come back to where uh, I used but 
I started accessing meetings, so they were really beneficial to me. But in London, um, we have so many meetings, so I could get to meetings all day long. I could do like, on a Saturday, for example, I'd do like four meetings in my local area and just go round from meeting to meeting. And then at the end, we'd all go to Nando's and do the meeting after the meeting. And so I built like quite a lot of recovery that way. Um, and obviously I had a daughter at that point. So we started doing the family stuff um, that you get with like accessing meetings and community hubs down there, a lot of camp outs, you know, you go to conventions. So I've always sort of been quite happy to go to a meeting wherever I am. You know, I've been all over the country, the UK, uh, I've been all over the world in recovery. Um, like to go to a meeting wherever I go in the world. I've been to meetings in Trinidad, I've been to meetings in um, Thailand. What is, is there any differences between country to country and location to location and what links them all together? And obviously there is the obvious thing which is addiction, isn't it? That's, that's the common theme across them all. But is there anything that's quite, you know, that we wouldn't expect that would link all of the, uh, you know, all of the, is it AA? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. like, obviously everyone works the same programme, but they have different ways of finishing in meetings. So in America, like, everyone hugs at the end, whereas in the UK, we tend to hold hands. Um, and then <laughs> the key rings go out in different orders. So it's quite interesting to see, like, the similarities and the differences. Um, and, yeah, you know... <sighs> Some countries like have very had, had, had very little recovery, you know, um, or it would be actively frowned upon by the government. So uh, we've done outreach to women in um, Iran, for example. It's got a massive heroin problem, and so a lot of the women in the UK fellowship were invited to sponsor women over in Iran, and now they've got quite a busy. Um, NA, women's NA over there and then um, we always go out to Croatia once a year um, we was invited there shortly after the um, Yugoslavian con conflict um, and yeah we just go out every year and have a convention and it's really lovely and it's not just NA that does that it's like uh, AA does so we all meet up and yeah it's just nice uh, but yeah I mean Wales North Wales didn't have much recovery when I'd come on summer holidays. Like, I'm half Welsh, so I'm really familiar with the area that I've moved to. But, you know, there'd be like three people in a meeting, and uh, I'd be like, wow, you know, if I live here, it's going to be quite hard to keep my recovery going. So that's why meeting these guys has been a, a massive godsend to me, because I couldn't have predicted that would happen. Uh, in terms of... Say, for example, when you mentioned the conflict in Yugoslavia and, and the heroin problem amongst, is it women in particular? In, in no, it? no, it's everyone in, in, in Iran. It's quite widely, you know, obviously Afghanistan, you've got over the border. So, you know, people just grow it as a crop and yeah. and then use it as sort of an everyday painkiller, really. Yeah, and I'm then under you the get addiction problems. I'm under the impression that uh, 
mainly imported from Iran and the Middle yeah. East, isn't yeah, it, for yeah. the rest of the world? Yeah, 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 totally. Um, so, I'm, I'm curious, with regards to the, the things that people go through in their lives and uh, the, way, the way that people can use substances as a medication to, to uh, like numb the, the feelings that they're going through uh, with pain and suffering and, and how like the stories that you would hear in meetings say in Yugoslavia and Iran would compare to the stories um, in, in a first world country, we could say. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about addiction is it's like a commonality between human beings, really. Um, you're going to end up in the same place when your addiction really starts to bite in whatever country you're in. Um, yeah, there wouldn't really be... It's quite a lot of similarities rather than differences, as they would say in the room, um, with each addict's story. Um, so... What, you, what the differences are is like whether people can get the provision depending on whether the government approves. That's going to be the big difference for, for uh, users. But actually their experiences, you know, they still experience the feelings of hopelessness and helplessness about not being able to stop their addiction. Um, but if they don't get support, then that's going to be the, uh, the hard bit, isn't it? Yes, it's like we all have the circuits in our heads to experience the same feelings as each other. It's just that the actual environment that we're in, uh, you know, can activate them feelings for us. And, and that leads to the same destination of addiction overall, I yeah, suppose. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, um, you know, we've, we've got quite a well-funded drug um, and alcohol provision in the UK. You know, it could, could possibly be better. But, you know, in comparison to other countries, like, you know, we are quite ahead of um, treating addiction and, you know, trying to attack it holistically. You know, looking at trying to get support, supportive housing and and, and mental health support and stuff like that that comes maybe you know people find out afterwards that they had a mental health issue that they were dealing with um, by using drugs instead you know so so if, if the UK and the likes of other countries are ahead in their provisions and the programs that are available for people for the countries that say aren't quite as ahead what 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 stage are they at and what are they stuck out is there any barriers that they they maybe socially and, and um, politically is it, is it a political issue or I think well I mean I had a Chinese lodger at one point <laughs> don't ask <laughs> and I needed to because uh, I lived in London it's very expensive I needed to um, sort of add to my mortgage uh, money and uh, he came and lived with me and uh, you know it's very different in China you know I showed him like our book um, that we use in an A because uh, he wanted to read it because out there you know it's a very different story if you're an addict you know you can actually be um, you know executed for for being an addict so you know you've got the full spectrum really of how um, acceptable or you know acceptable is maybe the wrong word but 
you know, how, how prepared a government is to, you know, reach out to people that are suffering from addiction. You know, it can be from extremely punitively, you know, or incarceration to actually, you know, quite forward-thinking um, remit like uh, Portugal has at the moment, you know. Decent um, yeah. decriminalisation yeah. and uh, safe, I, I imagine... Safe, safe spaces to take drugs and stuff like that. Yeah, injection clinics, yeah, I yeah, believe, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I, personally, I, I do see that as being the future for you know pro progress in the recovery community. It's it's inevitably going to end up going that way across the world, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to end up like you know when I see what's going on in America, where people are just like um, you know locked up for years for you know being pretty much an addict, um, and not being able to control it using and maybe setting up a meth lab or something like that and then suddenly they're doing a 20 to 40 year sentence it's it's quite sad to see that that there's not a bigger intervention um at the point where you know people can turn their lives around um so to see what's going on in portugal is quite promising and i know we've had like police and crime commissioners that have been supportive of that as well in in, in you know in the more local area yeah i've Clyde Cymru's, uh, I forget his name now. Uh, um, Arvon Jones. Arvon, and yeah, also Arvon, yeah. uh, there's one which I uh, have, um, it's on the tip of my tongue, but I don't remember his name. Um, uh, <laughs> I, in, I, in my oh, career, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah but uh, yeah, it's, I'd definitely say Gwynev's um, the area for, like if, if Penryn was to exist anywhere in, in Wales, Gwynev is the place. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, it's amazing that um, we've got what we've got, really. Um, I uh, I worked for a long time in London in the field, and uh, we uh, we were sort of tackling things in a similar way. So to arrive here and it was already going on in um, North Wales recovery community, it was uh, it was a really lovely thing to see. Um, and uh, it, you know, it'd be nice if we could really do a bit more joined up work with the rest of North Wales. Um, I've got a friend that lives in Aberystwyth and it's a very different story there, you know. Um, and we're such a big country and we've got such big mountains <laughs> between us. It's quite hard to get it all cohesive, but I think, you know, what's been going on in North Wales recovery community is, uh, is quite something uh, to be proud of really and the people really kind of engage and keep coming back and that's what it's all about it's about building social networks you know there's a um a guy called uh dr oh, oh. dr uh, are you okay Mator, yeah dr Matur gabe i think yes. his name is yeah and uh he was saying the opposite to addiction is connection and I think that's what we've got here you know we've had a lovely day getting to know people walking around people we've not met before people that I have met before you know building those those connections you know and the countries that you know are managing to maybe even meet up in secret to tackle their addiction that's what's going to be going on there too you know they're going to be finding their people and and hopefully you know being able to change their lives. Yep, so <laughs> for the listeners, uh, we've just got to one of the more treacherous parts of the path, <laughs> and Lucinda just took a fall, but she 
didn't not break her sentence as she did it and I'm very impressed by that. <laughs> Professional. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm I am familiar with uh, Dr. Gabo Mate yeah. and I, I'm a big fan of his work mm-hmm. and uh, I'm I'm just you know, I feel like I, I absolutely <laughs> I should read all of his books really. Yeah. And and then uh, you know I, I'll probably be a thousand times better at what I do for for it. Um, very good, very good. Yeah. It's been uh, been a pleasure to sort of talk about really what what we do. Um, you know, I worked for uh, some time with uh, service user involvement in London, and um, you know helped out with. Um, back then, it was called the National Treatment Agency, and there was a lot of input from service users, and I kind of miss those times because we made some real. Um, innovation I think in the field and you know they worked on the same principles as Dr. Matteo Gabe you know about this connection thing um, but sadly funding started to dry up and uh, and we, we're not kind of as participatory as we were uh, but up here it seems that the services are quite happy to listen to us and get involved and, and want to know what we, we, we want out of treatment rather than sort of you know tick box, box exercise and this is what we're going to do for you you know they, they like people to sort of really take control of their you know where their recovery is heading so I like that I like more, that more holistic yeah yeah and individual um, rather than a one size yeah, fits all fits all yeah, yeah totally so you've been at working at Penryn for three years um no I've been in the lockdown, I set up all the uh, um, Zoom meetings for the local uh, NA uh, because I just started accessing Penryn um, in the uh, you know in the fact that they had a meeting there, and I was starting to get to know people. So I thought it was a good way to keep connection going, um, and you know from there, just doing a regular meeting. You know, my friends started working there, so. She's like, oh, do you want to, you know, maybe try out for some night support work? Because I've done that in London before I came here. Uh, and so that's how I kind of ended up being more and more involved with, you know, the meeting, you know, the fellowships here and uh, and, and obviously the uh, the community, you know, the, the recovery community. In terms of... Because what one of the things when when we speak speak to people who are at Penryn is that there's people here who are from the area. Yet when we go out on days like today, they'll tell me, it's like, I "Just did not know it was on my doorstep." <laughs> and in terms of the therapeutic aspect of of the scenic qualities of of this area and compare that to say what's uh, available to people in the cities you know people will pay hundreds if not thousands to you know to see scenic places and uh, in in terms of like what what kind of difference does it make in terms of the environment that uh, recovery is is had in um I think, you know, the difficulty for people here is, like, it's such a wide area um, to get to many meetings. So we suggest that people do 90 meetings in 90 days. Well, that would chew up any 
um, you know, benefits that someone or, you know, low income that someone who is in early recovery would have. Which is why, you know, I'm kind of advocating going hybrid. Um, in London, you know, when I was working, when I was in very early recovery, I set up a project uh, where people could go out with sketchbooks. You know, I lived in an area that had a lot of parks, so we were quite lucky um, for people to go out and have a look at their surroundings more and engage with like the landscapes and anything that interested them really you know it could be a scrapbook something they found on the on the street or and then use uh, like an object or a piece of clothing and change it into something else as a metaphor for how we change in recovery and that might work quite well um, but it's you know people in the lockdown that have lived here you know my neighbours and that and they were all like oh I didn't even know there was this much stuff here and I don't think when it's right in front of you you don't really engage with stuff to you and 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 you know when we're using it tends to look even less at things so you know that's a big a big reason why I did that project was because it you know it made people start sort of looking at what was around them and you know they could choose to go to museums and stuff I suppose if they're in London and we've got all that but um, there's so much stuff here that you can do projects on you know it's uh, photography projects especially like a lot of people get quite creative I think addicts are quite creative people uh, so yeah Marcus for example yeah. uh, you know Marcus's recovery is based in the creativity of what Eternals you know gives to him and, and we're trying to bring that to other people with what we do with Eternal Media as yeah, well yeah. so yeah I definitely see that yeah it's amazing I was in rehab with someone and they were watching a uh, like one of those kind of drug films where they warn you off drugs and stuff and he's like this isn't realistic this is not my life I want it to be like when I go in school and uh, he went off and he made his own company and he's like just got an OBE so Who's this? Uh, Jason Turner from uh, he's over in Birmingham and yeah it's that kind of <laughs> like creativity he just goes insanely mad and successful and helps so many people you know a lot of people have acted for him that he's met through recovery and stuff like that so yeah one of the things i, I hear marcus uh, say a lot is is that in addiction you have to be creative because you've got to live that life in in a you know can't be straight up with people a lot of the time because you, you try to manipulate people to mm. get what you want all mm. the time and and there's a lot of creativity that comes with that the, the lies the yeah, yeah. The, like the the crime that you can like it, it, you have to be creative to, to yeah. be a criminal and and it's uh, the light if you're living in that life where that's how you're uh, you know helping support that lifestyle then I think that creativity never really goes away mm. and and so for someone who's gone from that life they find a creative outlet after in recovery because they, they are so well experienced in being creative yeah. in their addiction yeah I'd agree definitely um, you know I am um because I I'd cleaned up where I was using, I sort of would see people I'd use with, and they go, "How are you doing? How have you managed to change? How have you like?" But I've always had sort of avenues of creativity that I could tap into, like a DJ a bit. So I got back into that, and um, I made a bit of music because I used to be able to like play the piano when I was young, and 
and then that kind of went on to like I did fashion and art school but I dropped out so that's why I created the fashion projects and and everything in my life that I've experienced I've managed to make some use of it so it wasn't like I got clean and then I didn't know what to do I actually have utilized most of the things that I uh, I, you know, I've always loved, and and I went on because I quite like I'm quite academic as well. So I went on to, you know, I had a lot of history when I was a kid, but I didn't really do anything with it. So I've qualified, you know, Welsh history masters since I've got to to Wales, and you know, I just think we're really resourceful people. That's what I always used to say to the people like, "Have you done it?" I was like, "We're really resourceful," you know. Think about that because. You know, you can change your life. I know you've been using it since you're 13. I know you come from a terrible family situation, but you have all that skill, all that survival skill that you've you've had all the way through your using, and you can tap into that, you know. And I always just hope that people do, you know. I just hope the best for people. You know, some people find it really hard to change, um, but I believe if you plant a seed, you know, anyone's got a chance, really. Absolutely, and I, I won't keep you much longer, um, but I think one of the things is that some of the things that people learn in recovery, it's, something, it's things that not just people who are trying to overcome it or like, you know, get over addiction can benefit from, there's, there's so much uh, tools that they, and techniques that they teach you, they give you to to actually benefit you in even if you weren't addicted to something that it gives you an understanding of yourself and and how to overcome negative thoughts intrusive thoughts and and take agency over yourself and uh, I yeah so I think you don't just in recovery uh, in, in a good like in a strong recovery that the don't just give you the tools for how to live life after addiction, but they actually just give you tools for how to live. Yeah, and and things have changed so much from when I first come in. Um, you know, I had small plans when I came in, and, and they just get bigger and bigger. I often, sort of say. Like what? Well, I mean, I I'm terrified of flying, and I've flown all over the world. <laughs> I'm like, you were scared of yeah, flying? Yeah, I was terrified of it. I hated it. <laughs> so, tell me about that. Tell me about that. So, first time. Well, I mean, I've been, I'd flown when I was a kid and I wasn't scared, but the more drugs I took, I got more and more paranoid about everything, I suppose. And, uh, so, even though it's not my favourite thing to do, um, I will get on a plane because, you know, what I see at the other end, just mind blowing, you know, other cultures. Um, just, yeah, it's just something that makes me feel quite alive, you know, it's my kind of buzz. Some people like throwing themselves out of like planes the after, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just like looking at, yeah, you know, I went to Jamaica, that was a lifelong dream, ambition. Um, I love my reggae in my jungle, so like to get out there and see Jamaica live, it was just like, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, I was so excited looking at the Jumbo Jack, and I've got to get on that in a minute. But, yeah, I was like, yeah, it's like Christmas has come early for me, <laughs> really. Just getting off and seeing, you know, looking out the play, I was so excited. It was my birthday, and I'd paid for it as a treat for myself, you know, for what I'd been doing in recovery. Like, um, putting one foot in front of the other and, and, and getting to where I wanted to be in life, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, everything changes. Like, I never thought I'd be able to come to Wales. Um, 
and then I got the opportunities to come and people going, are you scared, you know, and I did a chair in Brixton, a big meeting that we do in London and it's step three, and it's about trusting, and, you know, higher power and, and then I walk into a meeting 30 miles away from where I live and I meet my friend here and, uh, you know, it's all kind of unfolded from there, you know, what were the chances, but I took a risk. I think you still have to take risks in recovery, but, you know, you, you've got to measure that risk, you've got to, you know, kind of have... I have a reasonably good support system. You know, I'd come here for a year um, before I met my friend um, and I had access to me in. So it's just, you know, it's about keeping yourself as safe as you can but still taking those risks. Because if you don't, then you, you just kind of stagnate and that's not good for an addict either. Yeah, I, I think that's something we talk about quite a lot is, is the idea of stuck somewhere in recovery where mm. uh, by getting stuck it, it you, you can't just get stuck you've got to move on and and do something with recovery uh, to to live life otherwise you're more susceptible to you know, going back possibly as a result or, or not necessarily going back to addiction but just not living your life to the yeah. fullest yeah yeah totally I mean I've um I've had this sort of moments where I have been stuck and I don't want to move on and, and, and I've stagnated and it's not, you know, it's not worked out well for me. But, you know, I've, I've got outside help with stuff like that. And, do you know what I mean? You just you kind of get to a point where you have to start looking at stuff that you want to kind of put on the back burner. and So you can sort of fill it all with trinkets and travel. and But, you know, you've still got that emotional kind of hole that you've got to keep working on, really. Um, you know, one of the things that I keep on experiencing with people in recovery is, is that they're so much more emotionally mature in recovery than, say, someone else of their age or just the, the general average person typically, just on average, not, not everyone, but just average because they, they understand themselves more. Mm. They, they understand life just a little bit more because they, they've had to do something with their life. And uh, they, they, you know, they, rather than just letting life take control of them and like with their addictions controlling them, they've actually taken the reins back in their life. And I, I don't know, it's just something, uh, something that anecdotally I've, I've picked up on. Well, I think you know a lot of us go through trauma, or we might have arrived in addiction because of trauma. So when you start sort of unpicking all of that, I think it builds like empathy and understanding with um, you know your outer world as well as your inner world. So I think that's probably why, um, you know, in some of the processes that we go through to get to a place of peace, you know, a lot of people don't do that. They don't need to. They just go about their life. Autopilot. Yeah, yeah, autopilot, basically. So, yeah, you know, I think that's why I think, you know, we're quite empathetic people. We're quite sensitive people to start with. Um, I think a lot of people can go through trauma and... I'm not saying they're not affected by it, but they don't... Whereas someone that ends up with full-blown addiction... Um, you know, it tends when they cut out the other side to be quite an empathetic person and understanding of, you know, not everything is is going to be a perfect life, and, and and not to judge others that have made, you know, bad choices as well. I think that's the key thing, really. Having a bit of compassion for oneself builds compassion towards other people. Okay, thank you for that, Lisa. That was amazing. Oh, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. <laughs> If you've been affected by any of the topics in this episode, please reach out to a trusted contact or seek a professional for support.
Okay, so there you have it. That was Brad and Lucinda. And some final thoughts on this is that I really, really enjoyed chatting with these two for the first time. When you meet people for the first time, you just don't know what you're going to get. But I got to say, chatting with Brad, he was such a lovely guy and I really wish him all the best with his recovery journey. He, you know, you could tell that it really meant a lot to him and he was giving it his, his... is all and he's discovering so much about himself as well along the way and I can't wait to meet him again just to see how he's doing and then Lucinda I mean what can I say other than she's just incredible you know she's had all of the personal experience and then she has got so much time in recovery for herself but she's so self-aware and understanding of that you know it's not something that she can do alone she needs to have other people around her and then by helping others she helps herself and I I think she's just a great example of how we can bring people with the personal experience of addiction and then recovery and then how they can involve themselves in the academic world to help people who haven't experienced it for themselves to then you know develop support systems uh, so more people can get help because I think that's something that's severely missing uh, is the personal experience that uh, a lot of people who work in services and and in academia just they just don't have it Uh, but to be able to actually work alongside with people who speak their language and can communicate what it's like to be from that background and have that personal experience it's it it, i mean i don't think that there's any substitute for that so that's my final thoughts on our conversation with brad and lucinda and i just can't wait to get to see them again so we can catch up if you join us next time then you will be with sam he will be taking you across Paris Mountain and Clinidois once again as he was chatting with a few more members of North Wales recovery communities about their recovery journeys and much more topics as well.